opened the door to the most powerful room in housing, built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress. The gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. Welcome everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast. Today, Senior Real Estate Reporter Matthew Blake is our host as he sits down with Laura Alexander, the Vice President of Policy at the American Antitrust Institute, a group which followed the Department of Justice in filing an amicus brief regarding antitrust violations in the pocket listing ban issued by the National Association of Realtors. Alexander offers some insight into the reasons behind the brief, NAR's complicated history on the topic, and what this could mean for consumers. But before you listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by First Guarantee Mortgage Corporation. When you work with FGMC, you're more than a customer, you're a partner. From monthly webinars and trainings to our non-QM structure desk, our mortgage mavericks make it easy for you to be successful. We're standing by to confirm eligibility, help calculate bank statements and DTI, and evaluate credit. Reach out today. Maverick Solutions products are available through wholesale and non-delegated delivery. To access our partner resources or to submit a non-QM scenario, visit fgmc.com slash maverick. First Guarantee Mortgage Corporation, NMLS ID 2917, 5800 Tennyson Parkway, Suite 450, Plano, Texas 75024. Hello, I'm Matthew Blake, real estate reporter with Housing Wire. And on this episode of Housing Wire Daily, I spoke with Laura Alexander, who is the vice president of policy at the American Antitrust Institute in Washington, D.C. So Laura, as she will explain, wrote an amicus brief in a lawsuit filed by the Pocket Listing Service against the powerful National Association of Realtors. The lawsuit contends that NAR broke antitrust law with their ban on pocket listings. Pocket listings are homes that real estate agents market without putting on the local multiple listing service. The pocket listing service, perhaps the perfectly named foil for NAR and this rule of theirs, was started by high-end real estate agents in Beverly Hills. Now, these agents, including Mauricio Omansky, the CEO of the agency brokerage and a bit of a reality TV star, often represent celebrities and were looking for a service that could provide more discretion for their clients and also be less bound to a specific geographic locale. NAR's policy that its members post listings on the MLS allegedly ruined PLS's attempt to create an MLS competitor. So Alexander spoke with us about why legally PLS may have a point and She also discussed what will come next for NAR and why they are defending themselves in a bevy of public and private antitrust inquiries. And I am here with Laura Alexander, the Vice President of Policy for the American Antitrust Institute. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. So tell our listeners, what is the American Antitrust Institute and what are its goals and what kind of work do you do for it? Sure. The American Antitrust Institute is an independent nonprofit, and our mission is to promote competition that serves consumers and society through advocacy, education, and research. As the vice president of policy, my role involves both antitrust policy and also legal advocacy as a lawyer. 
I file amicus briefs, and then I also conduct um, research on topics that are relevant to competition. Yeah. And so how all of what you do relates to real estate, of course, is that uh, one of the briefs you filed was in this case in which there are actually oral arguments today. We're recording this on Friday, January 14th. There are oral arguments in this case uh, between PLS.com and the National Association of Realtors. And so PLS.com, which is pocket listing, a pocket listing service. Mm -hmm. And so they're arguing in, in this case that the National Association of Realtors ban on these pocket listings is in violation of antitrust law and, you know, sharply harms their own listing service also is potentially harmful to real estate agents And so in this case, a lower judge in Los Angeles, uh, Judge Holcomb, he dismissed the case. Your organization filed a brief in support of the PLS.com appeal. So I guess, first off, could you explain why uh, with, you know, all the business actions in America today, why you uh, chose to get involved in this case and why your organization did? So real estate is both a huge industry in terms of dollar figures and also a hugely significant industry, uh, particularly residential real estate. You know, um, a a house is often the most significant investment of an individual consumer's life. And um, these are not just, you know, buildings. These are people's homes that we're talking about. So it's an important market. But also this case concerns an antitrust issue involving network effects and network effects are um, essentially where the value of a product to one consumer is increased by there being by there being other consumers who also consume the right. product right and it involves a second antitrust issue which relates to platforms right um, um, listing services like the MLS and like the PLS, are um, ways to connect buyers and sellers. Um, And so the listing service itself serves as a platform on which those connections can be made. Mm -hmm. And so antitrust law right now, there's tremendous evolution in the law and courts are grappling with how to apply the antitrust laws that have been around for more than 100 years to these emerging markets that are increasingly subject to network effects and involve platforms and not just widgets. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it's also a very significant case. What was your sense in terms of why, because my, I'm, I don't have a very good understanding of network effects, but my understanding is, is that, you know, I think that the NAR would contend that it because everyone kind of uses this, it's it's like positive and that it sort of like flattens the playing field. It gives everyone access to this data. So why might it be that it actually could be kind of an antitrust issue? Sure. So yeah, network effects do serve a benefit to consumers. I mean, you know, um, nobody wants to go to uh, a listing service where there are no listings, right? If I want to buy a house... Um, it helps for me to be able to go to a listing service where there are houses that are listed. Or if I want to, I'm dating myself, but back in the day when cell phones were first a novelty item, 
it was cheaper to call people who are on your same cell phone network than it was right, to call right. people who are on different networks, right? And so as a consumer of cell phones, you would benefit from having all your friends also on your cell phone network, mm -hmm. right? So those are network effects and sure that they can benefit people. Um, and to some extent, the network effects are the benefit that the network provides. What is Facebook, for example, without your friends? It's right. nothing. So that's not really the issue. The issue is that the product that's at issue in this case is not the listings themselves, it's the listing service. And so mm -hmm. there are characteristics of that listing service, right? How easy is the interface for the people who list houses? What kind of information are they required to include? What kind of costs are there for listing on the listing service? And that product, the listing services itself, is where the competition is allegedly impaired in this case. And your brief asserts at, at one point that the NAR-affiliated multiple listing service system has long been a monopoly, which suggests its existing terms of trade have room for improvement. Now, I mean, like as a reporter of real estate, that kind of makes sense to me. I tend to loosely assert at times that NAR might be a monopoly pretty much in order to be a successful real estate agent or brokerage. And there are, ex there are exceptions. You kind of, um, you know, need to join this trade group. I mean, since you are a lawyer, it seems like your um, use of the term monopoly has some precision here. So could you explain kind of why you assert that NAR is a monopoly? And, and then kind of the second part of my question, is it necessarily like a harmful or illegal monopoly? So, um, right, monopoly is a, a term of art in antitrust, but the basic concept is that um, a monopolist is someone who is able to raise prices above a competitive level or is able to exclude competitors through a means, um, mm -hmm. not by competing to offer a better product, but, but by, for instance, um, making it more expensive for its rivals to operate or locking in all the customers so the rivals can't you know, can't get access to any customers to offer a better product. And it's really just an extreme example of um, more general phenomenon of market power. So why do we say NAR is a, a, a monopoly? Well, NAR has an exceptionally high market share in this listing services market. The vast, vast majority of listings are, are carried on NAR-affiliated MLS services and... Um, so high, a high market share is um, one piece of being a monopoly. But also, you know, NAR has demonstrated that it has the ability through changing its policies, for example, to exclude others. I mean, PLS, if you take PLS's allegations at face value, which there are, they are just allegations at this point, they haven't been proven, but um, that ability to um, exclude a competitor from the market, not by offering a better product, but by changing your terms of service so that your customers cannot also be customers of that competing right. product. That is a classic um, exclusionary tactic used by a monopolist. And that only a monopolist is able to use that because only a monopolist would have the power to use a tool like that effectively. And, and NARA has a long history with the United States Department of Justice. You know, there was been a consent decree that was entered into and then subsequently right. withdrawn, right? And so um, this is not a new characterization for NARA. And I'll also say that 
in markets where you have these in these network markets where you, you see these network effects, they're often subject to what we call tipping, where um, essentially because you get this what Mark Zuckerberg is called a flywheel effect, right? <laughs> that the more customers you get, the more appealing it is to customers. Often, what happens is whoever gets in first then owns the whole market um, because the network effects are strong enough that it makes it harder for a subsequent competitor to come in. But mm-hmm. um, you know, the second part of your question is important because monopolies are not always illegal. It's not illegal to have a monopoly. Um, to have gained a high market share and a dominant position by offering a better product is not illegal. That's you know the goal of capitalism to a certain extent. But what is alleged in the PLS case and what's been alleged in some other cases against NAR is that NAR has used tactics that don't involve trying to compete by offering a better product, but instead involve using its market power to exclude potential competitors or to impose terms on brokers and buyers and sellers that they might not otherwise agree to if they had a real choice. NAR is no stranger to like this allegation that they're a monopoly. They're facing a few antitrust claims. Besides this, they're facing lawsuits about, which we've discussed, I think, in the past before, about kind of real estate commissions and and how their uh, agreements that they uh, put upon agents have the effect of perhaps artificially raising real estate commissions. And then, as you know, the Justice Department had a consent decree with them. They withdrew from the consent decree. So I guess, like, given this history and given that there have been, like, I think back in 2008, maybe there was a consent decree between NAR and the Justice Department, like, um, Tasco you know, terribly broad question to you, like, where do you see all this heading? I mean, obviously, like the legal system, you know, sometimes moves at different speeds, but like, what might be maybe a better question, like what might be a hypothetical outcome of all this that could lead to perhaps a change in in the real estate market? I don't see any of these lawsuits, even if they're successful as an existential threat to NAR. And I don't Mm -hmm. see that as the goal that's being sought in any of these lawsuits. what the lawsuits are seeking and what the likely remedies would be would um, obviously there'd be financial penalties to um, in cases like PLS, but then also, um, you know, the, the main goal of the lawsuits is to get NAR to cease the conduct that is alleged to be anti-competitive. So, you know, this PLS lawsuit um, gets at a, a rule that NAR implemented that required that any NAR affiliate who listed a listing with one listing service was required to list it with the NAR affiliated MLS within a 24 hour period. Right. And so um, if that rule were rescinded, that would then open the door potentially for competing listing services to offer a differentiated product that consumers might like. Some of the other lawsuits are attacking a NAR rule that requires the seller of a home to pay the realtor fees for the seller's agent and for the buyer's agent. Um, And so that if that rule were rescinded, then it would potentially open up competition for more variation in fees charged by agents. And so antitrust cases are slow. Litigation is slow, especially in a time of COVID. Yeah. Um, The timing is hard to say. And the outcome is, of course, uncertain. But what we do see is, you know, 
a number of different private and public enforcers really kind of going after some some longstanding policies of NAR, like the buyer broker rule, mm-hmm. the commission related rule, and then some of these more novel practices. And so I think NAR faces some pretty um, pretty significant challenges to the way it's currently doing business, but certainly not a threat to the existence of NAR itself. Does the investigation of NAR's monopoly power remind you of any other industry or is this like pretty like specific in in that instead of like, you know, a company like Facebook being investigated, we're having like a trade group investigated? I was thinking about this the other day. And and one thing that these series of cases against NAR reminds me of, uh, particularly the case by the Justice Department and by the private plaintiffs that are attacking the buyer broker rule. Is that there's a, a case that was recently settled against the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association mm-hmm. um, involving allocation of healthcare insurance markets between the Blue Cross entities, and like this policy that NAR has about buyers and uh, about sellers paying buyers and sellers agents fees, that Blue Cross lawsuit attacked a policy that Blue Cross Blue Shield Association had had in place for decades, mm. um, and so. Both of these cases kind of bring to mind the idea that the competitive implications of longstanding policies can change over time as the facts on the ground change. In the case of NAR, for example, before the advent of computers and the internet, the case for a single listing service um, made a lot more sense from a competition standpoint in the sense that it's harder to perceive how competition would arise and what that competition would look like and how it would serve mm-hmm. consumers. But now with the internet, there's tons of opportunities for novel competition against the multiple listing service and the NAR business model. And so that has put increasing pressure, I think, on these longstanding practices at NAR. And so we've seen that in a couple of cases and the Blue Cross Blue Shield case is the one that comes to mind most readily. I mean, the internet has been around, you know, for consumers for like a quarter of a century now. Are you surprised NAR has been able to kind of withstand the pressure so far? Or do you have a sense as to sort of why there's this kind of moment right now where they're facing scrutiny from a few fronts? You know, it's it's hard to say exactly. I mean, you know, I remember the early days of the internet. I'm old enough to, um, you know, I've had a dial-up connection. But it's hard to imagine. Um, it, it, it's taken time, I think, for the business models to really embrace the internet and the potential of the internet and other technologies and what they can do to revolutionize some of these longstanding markets. And so, mm-hmm. part I think it's just been about the business models developing, how that's taken time. But it's been sort of like an increasingly loud drumbeat against some of these ways of doing business at NAR. And it takes time, especially for these longer standing business models for people to kind of wrap their head around the fact that this is anti-competitive because how has it been able to exist for so long if it's really so bad for consumers and for markets and for competition and so it just takes time and litigation is slow but i don't know what specifically has triggered this except for that more and more potential competitors to the mls and to our affiliated realtors have been emerging Yeah, thanks a lot for your time. Uh, Laura Alexander from the American Antitrust Institute, thank you for appearing on Housing Wire Daily. My pleasure. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? 
Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.